Today's episode of The Dad Chronicle is brought to you by the card game Totem. Totem is a unique card game that emphasizes sharing what you appreciate most about the people you're playing with. Think Cards Against Humanity, but with compliments. Deanna and I recently played this game with some good friends of ours and immediately recognized how amazing this game is for building relationships with those around you, as well as recognizing the positive impact that you have on others. Head over to teamtotem.com to learn more about the game yourself. And when you buy it, use code ALEX10 at checkout and get 10% off. Again, that's code ALEX10 when you purchase the game at teamtotem.com. Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu, and this is episode 92. On today's episode, I speak with Ellie Weinstein. Ellie's a therapist and a new father, and he comes to the conversation bringing a lot of great insight on what happens to parents psychologically when they have new children, and why it's so important for men to seek help and support during the early phases of becoming a parent. First, we learn about Ellie's experience becoming a father and how it wasn't as easy for him as he would have expected. When she was born, I did not expect the feelings that I had. I was expecting this overwhelming joy and love, and I didn't. We talk about why it's important for therapy to be destigmatized, especially for men who typically find it hard to be vulnerable and ask for help. By asking for help, it is a courageous thing because you're showing, I can't do this alone, especially for your spouse or partner, whoever it is. Saying to them, I need your help, brings you closer. We also talk about how to find the best therapist for your own personal situation. Never give up on finding it. It has to be the right fit because it can be the best therapist in the world who has all the accolades and all the books and the years behind them. But if you don't feel comfortable, it will never work. And finally, we talk about his really cool experience being on Kelly Clarkson's TV show. The rumors are true. She is so nice. She is so real. Um, She actually hugged me, and when she hugged me, she whispered in my ear, thank you for moving your clients for me. That meant so much. Here's my conversation with Ellie Weinstein. Ellie Weinstein, welcome to the Dad Chronicle. How are you this morning? Um, Great. Thank you for having me early in the morning. Really appreciate it and taking the time to speak with me. No, no problem at all. This is such a fun topic that we're going to jump into, and also your perspective as a new dad is really fun and refreshing. Uh, But before we jump into all of that, why don't we take a moment to just introduce you to the world? So how would you introduce yourself to this audience who may not know you? Hey, everyone. My name is Ellie Weinstein. I am a therapist, a new dad, been practicing as a therapist for three years in many, many modalities, psych hospitals, community clinics, and soon to be hopefully private practice, and just trying to help bring some support, motivation, inspiration to this world. So I created a company slash organization called Elevation, which is my name, uh, surprise, uh, and um, just trying to help make therapy and mental health more digestible and relatable to everyone out there and as many people who are willing to listen and access it. Yeah, it's such an important topic. And and on this show, we've spoken with uh, Wendy Dunford, if you guys at home remember that. And that brought a lot of great wisdom to this, uh, to the idea of, you know, how to deal with anxiety. I think that your perspective coming in with um, some of the, the mindfulness techniques that we'll talk a little bit about is going to be really refreshing, mm-hmm. as well as uh, your genuine experience as a new dad. So why don't we dive into that very first and foremost? 
Uh, congratulations, by the way. Why don't you tell us a Thank little bit so about much. your family? So I have a beautiful new baby daughter. Her name is Ricky. She's six months old. And my wonderful wife, Ariella, did an amazing job giving birth to her. Uh, the pregnancy was great. And I was so pumped. I've been wanting to be a dad since I was 14. I am now 28, and I was so looking forward to this process. When she was born, I did not expect the feelings that I had. I was expecting this overwhelming joy and love, and I didn't. And I was shaken and just upset and kicking myself, saying, what the hell is wrong with me? My, my wife and my daughter had this beautiful connection from the get-go, and I did not feel that same connection. And only took time and effort and patience for now I cannot get enough of this little thing. And she's my little lady and she smiles so big when she sees me and she is the light of my life. So I think that that's um, very common when uh, when some when, when dads are first, you know, experiencing this whole parenting thing. So uh, like when you first held your baby girl, for instance, what, what was, what was going through your mind at that point? Well, I was just happy that she was alive because we kind of lost her heartbeat. So we had to have an emergency C-section. So I was so overwhelmed with, with, um, with love and, and hope and relief, uh, that when I held her for the first time in the ER, um, I was crying, um, because I was just so, joyous that she was in the world and all the time of waiting and then all of a sudden the fear of of not maybe not leaving the hospital with her um it was just this overwhelming just emotion and uh it was a beautiful moment that i will never forget so you said that you lost her heartbeat for a while was that during uh like regular labor or did you guys was there something yeah, so my, that happened earlier? So my wife went into, like, her, her water broke at 5 o'clock in the morning, and she was in labor for about 23 hours with no dilation, nothing. Oh, my God. Um, and the doctors, yeah, it was it was a long process. Uh, my wife is amazing and was pushing through everything and was such a wonderful, uh, great attitude during the entire process. And the doctor came in and said, we need to do a C-section. So we started prepping for a C-section for a couple hours later. And within minutes... Um, the nurses who were in the room didn't hear a heartbeat, had to call a stat, which means everyone on the floor runs in to help. And we were rushed into the ER and, um, uh, Ricky's, uh, my wife's cord was around Ricky's neck. Um, and every time they were pumping medication, it was basically choking the baby. Um, so thank God she was all good. She scored really high on the APGAR score. So, you know, uh, she's, thank God she's a wonderful and healthy. Yeah, the, Aria had a my daughter Aria had a similar. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. Yeah, similar to Ariella. When you said that, I was like, oh, that is unique, and I love that. I mean, both your girls, yeah. are beautiful, uh, beautiful Thank names you. there. Um, so I think uh, I I completely understand where your anxiety came from there because Aria had a similar experience when she was coming out of the womb. Um, her cord mm-hmm. was wrapped around her neck. Uh, not to the point where we had to do an emergency C-section, but it was like kind of one of those last minute things like the head was there, the cord was tightening, and it was kind of like, okay, push. I didn't even cut the cord. Like it was nothing like that. Like I was kind of ready to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor was like, oh no, we, we got to get this kid out right now. And it was, yeah. it was like, it was, dude, it was the weirdest 
three seconds or so of my life because I've never seen so much happen in three seconds. The kid pops <laughs> out. They cut the cord. All of a sudden, like, Arya's on the table, you know, getting checked out and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And, you know, mm-hmm. you just uh, – there, there's so much that happens in that time frame. But, I mean, here you are on the other side. Everybody's healthy, it sounds like, which is wonderful. How are you doing yeah. as far as sleep goes and, and all that? You know, I, I feel bad talking about this because I feel like I'm blessed that um, since the beginning, my baby has been sleeping at least four hours a night straight. Um, oh my God. And Get recently, out. Get out. yeah, I promise. I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all the parents out there who got a half an hour, hour at a time. Um, we were we were blessed that she sleeps four hours straight at a time. And now, the past two weeks, she's been sleeping around most nights between 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. straight. Good for you guys, man. I I have never known like since the beginning. We, you know, it's a beautiful thing. But now I feel like a person. Yeah. Like I'm actually not relying on four cups to five cups of coffee a day and um, functioning better than I was before. But, uh, yeah, you know, there are, you know, last night she was up like about three times, but they're, you know, good days and bad days. But for the most part, she sleeps great. She's really good. Well, let's talk about some of the anxiety that parents tend to deal with. You know, this is really where your specialty comes in and, and what <laughs> you do. Uh, this kind of, you know. Uh, no sleep thing is a big issue when it comes to parenting to begin with. Uh, yeah, it, it, I know that I personally dealt with a lot of it at the beginning. Arya's got a pretty good sleep schedule now, um, mm-hmm. but she's you know two and a half, so a lot has changed over the past couple of years. But you know, I, looking at it now uh, and thinking back then, I, I very well remember my first panic attack and how scary that was because Aria just wasn't sleeping and that screaming and uh, just, it was so tough. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not alone there. And I've not talked to several all. dads on this show who have experienced similar things. What sort of tangible ways can parents really uh, take mental health into consideration especially at the beginning when there's so much going on and then really tangibly like practice that throughout those early years of their you know of their parenthood well first off i want to thank you for sharing that that story because i also had a panic attack the first month of my baby's life i um i've only had one panic attack in my life it was a random thing that happened years ago and i thought i was good and the first month of my baby's life, in the middle of the night, it woke me up. I thought I was dying. I, I, my heart was through the roof. I was shaking. I was numb. It was the re- most ridiculous feeling I've ever had in my life. And I think back to that point, I was so scared of her being alive and her being okay and her being good that that was all the things that were going through in my, my mind was her safety, her protection, um, you know, with everything that was going on with the birth, it freaked me out to her future and making sure that she didn't die in the middle of the night. So I would get up and check her breathing. I would get up and do this. I would, I was always constantly looking and worrying because I cared about her more than myself, uh, which then ended up making me have extreme anxiety. So you're definitely not alone in that. And as a therapist, I was beating myself up. I'm like, dude, you know this stuff, like get over it, but it's not so easy. And I hate when people say that to me, and I hate when people say that to others. And as a therapist, just getting over it doesn't work. Um, it's not so simple where you can just snap your fingers and ta-da, all your problems go away. So the first tip I would have would be 
get the support you need. If that's family, if that's friends, if it means getting a 15, 20 minute break from your baby who is stressing you out because you're not sleeping and that already enough puts you at a disadvantage because you're already at a lower chance of patience and, and happiness and uh, stress. So what you should do is take a break when you need. Definitely have date night when you can and get the extra help that you need, whether that's a therapist, whether it's a psychiatrist, whether it's um, uh, a coach, whatever alleyway that you want to find, whether it's a blog, a support group. I know my wife got very into mommy support groups on like social media, which really helped her. Um, and one of the reasons why I started talking about fatherhood more often is that I did not find there to be enough things for fathers and men because people believe, and I think it's true that there's a lot of support needed for the mom, but there also needs to be a lot of support for the dads because they go go through their own struggles as well. You know, that's a big reason why I started this show in the first place. Um, well, beautiful. I'm so happy you did. Yeah. And it's not, it actually isn't the reason, the reason I started this show and, and I've talked about it, you know, in the past, uh, the reason that I started this show is that I wanted to document my experience coming into fatherhood because like Mm -hmm. you, this is something that I've always wanted to do. Now, uh, as soon as I started this and I had listeners from other podcasts, but that, you know, they were like, yeah, we, we want this to keep going, keep documenting and keep talking about ways that you're, you know, handling the issues. And I'm realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much support that dads need that they're just not getting. Uh, and, and then, you know, I started interviewing other dads similar to what we're doing here. And it started to blossom into this resource for other dads who want hope and uh, context and uh, compassion and empathy around this thought of what is normally supposed to be a very, you know, patriarchal sort of, uh, you know, strong man sort of Mm -hmm. feeling like Mm -hmm. that's suffocating to a lot of people, including me. And I needed some kind of a resource, so I made it, and and here we are. So I think that the tangibles that you just provided are really important, and I, and I want to double click on a couple of them. Um, sure. For a lot of men, it's a pride thing; they don't mm-hmm. like to ask for support. What do you think is an underlying reason why people don't want to ask for support, and then how do they overcome that? So I think it starts with the fact that you know, this misconception and preconceived thing about man, um, and the ego of needing to be the strong one. It's something that I'm trying to fight against because we have our weaknesses too. And we also need the support that, um, everyone else needs. But with that being said, the reason why men usually don't ask for support because it looks like we are failing or weak. And that's something that is against our nature. Um, something that's ingrained in us from a young age that you have to be a man and, you know, be strong and suck it up and all those things that have been said to us over the years. But I think it's something that you're not, if by asking for help, it is a courageous thing because you're showing, I can't do this alone, especially for your spouse or partner, whoever it is saying to them, I need your help brings you closer. Just like when your when your spouse asks you for help, it's saying, "I need you. I need a partner. I need. I can't do this by myself." It's something that can connect you guys as a couple, which is a beautiful thing, and it's something that just needs to be started. The way to get over it is by starting to do it little by little. If it's the sim- simplest thing of, you know, I need a fifteen minute break, or I need you to help me change this diaper. It's too much for me. 
nothing crazy, nothing big, just something simple can start you feeling okay with asking for bigger and more important things for help. Yeah. And, and it sounds like I'm, I'm hearing that and I, I absolutely agree. And what I think a lot of men are also dealing with in that regard is that they don't want to just, it's like, you got to get over that one little step of just being vulnerable yep. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's the part I think is the hardest for a lot of people. There's not really a good tangible way to say, get over that because you don't want to say that. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to be like, just, just get over it, be vulnerable. But at the same time, like, I think, I think you have to just say, you know, just even, even something very little like that will help, uh, kind of get you over that hump. So a- yeah. absolutely really great stuff. Now, this idea of therapy is very scary to a lot of people. If people mm-hmm. listen back to the episode about, uh, destigmatizing therapy with Wendy Dunford, um, we talked a lot about this and it's very important from your perspective. Why is it so important for people to not see therapy as a scary thing? You know, it's a great point. And I think there needs to be a movement about destigmatizing it because as a therapist and someone who has gone to therapy in the past, um, it is someone who is trained hopefully well to be objective, not judgmental, and a sounding board and advice giver and helping you, whoever it is with whatever problem, with whatever issue you're coming into, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's a marriage, whether it's life goals, self-esteem, body image issues, uh, drug addiction, alcohol issues, uh, and even as serious as schizophrenia, bipolar, or any of those issues under the sun. It is someone who is there to be there in your corner, which is something that not everyone gets to have in their life and something that I feel is super important and integral in this day and age where there's so much in this world, so many struggles, so much stress, so much going on to have one extra person who is in your corner, who is not involved, who is out of the box and they're just for you and for your care and for your growth and your success. Why not? And all it takes is trying. And not every therapist is going to fit. And not every person is going to be great. But when you find that right person who is good for you, it can be a phenomenal change that could impact your life forever. I'm really glad that you talked about that because I think people don't take that into consideration, the whole idea of, you know, you got to find the right fit. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something that I I looked into a lot uh, personally. And I think that when you go into the therapist office and you're like, yeah, this person has to be that person that I talked to. What, like, do, do you have any suggestions on ways that you know that you've made the right connection with the right therapist? Yeah, of course. I think, of course, you need to give it time. Um, you know, there are some red flags, of course, if uh, you know, I've been talking this a lot with some of my colleagues, there are some red flags that you know are like a off-putting thing. For example, if, if you know more about the therapist than they know about you, that's not healthy. You should not be, you know, knowing about their lives and their intricate lives more than they know about you. Second thing is if they cross boundaries or make you feel uncomfortable, you know yourself, you know, what is comfortable, what's not comfortable. You have met people before in your life, which is no different than a therapist. They're people. So if you get those weird tingly feelings in the back of your neck that say, this is not right, 
don't don't stick around for it. But if no nothing, no red flags, the person's not a serial killer. They're not the worst person in the world. And you actually feel some connection. Try it out for, let's say, I would say at least a month. And if you don't see that progress or that connection that you really are looking for, which means comfortability, that you feel that you can relate to the person, you can feel like you can talk to the person without being judged, that you feel like they're giving you good feedback, they're actually listening to you and not just saying, mm-hmm, how does that make you feel? But they're actually listening to you and being a part of the therapy. And if not, there are so many resources, whether it's ZocDoc, whether it's Psychology Today, whether it's just Google, and you can then pick based on your insurance, which is really important so you can actually afford it, and uh, gender if that impacts your therapy and um, age and their specialties. But never give up on finding it. It has to be the right fit because it can be the best therapist in the world who has all the accolades and all the books and the years behind them. But if you don't feel comfortable, it will never work. Yeah, so very, make sure that you feel comfortable. Very good points. Um, I want to jump into some tangibles for the folks at home who are listening, thinking, you mm-hmm. know, I, I need some ways that I can feel better when I am a uh, in a bad, you know, state, or, or ways that I can kind of get ahead of it. You talk mm-hmm. a lot about mindfulness, about meditation. Uh, do you want to educate our listeners on some of this? Because I love this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's so funny that I, I, I'm a religious uh, person and I pray and I am connected to a higher power, whatever that means to the listeners out there. Um, and I didn't realize that I was basically meditating and being mindful for so many years, but never put a word or a uh, term to it. Because to me, it was a religious thing. It wasn't a psychological thing. It wasn't a, a mindfulness or meditative connection. But what it is basically in the simplest terms, and I try to do this with my clients, and this seems a lot harder than it is, and some days it can be, mindfulness is about being here and now in the moment. One of the things that gets you with anxiety is the what-ifs and the worries about the unknown and future. It eats you alive because there are no answers sometimes for, well, what's going to happen now and what's going to happen then? So mindfulness is really stopping that thought process and really taking a deep breath and focusing right here on what you can accomplish right now. And then with meditation, it's taking a minute to five minutes. You know, if you're a beginner, don't do 10 minutes of meditation. It is really hard. So try a minute at a time. There are great apps out there right now, like Calm and Headspace and YouTube videos that it's so accessible to just sit with nice music in the background, taking deep breaths, And just putting your phone down or whatever technology you use and focusing on the now and yourself and how you feel and just being in the moment, which is a beautiful thing that we do not access anymore because of the technology we have today. That's Yeah, I think you nailed a big theme of this show is just uh, being present and something that is really hard for us to do these days because we have so much technology at our fingertips uh, and so much information that is thrown at us like literally every second. So uh, what are some ways that people can kind of catch themselves in the moment of not being in the moment uh, to, to perhaps slow down? Do you have any suggestions? Yeah. So I'll give you an example that happened last night. I was away speaking um, over the weekend at a weekend retreat for uh, eighth graders. 
And I came back home and I haven't seen my baby in 24 hours. The first time I was away from her for six months of her life, I come running in, she's feeding and my wife's breastfeeding her and she's not really paying attention because she's doing what she has to do. So what do I do? I take my phone out and I start looking up the things and connecting with this person and talking to this person, answering your thing. And all of a sudden my baby's looking at me. My wife says, Ellie, Ricky's looking at you. And I wasn't focusing. I was so focused on my cell phone. My wife says, Ellie, Ricky's looking at you. And I go, oh my goodness. I put the phone down and looked at her and got the biggest smile. But I was so focused on my cell phone that I was not focused on the beautiful moment of, I have not seen my baby in 24 hours. Like that's a, it was like bothering me the whole weekend, but now I get a chance to see her and I'm on my phone. So it was more about being self-aware and noticing. And something that I think is really beautiful nowadays on your cell phone itself, it actually tells you how much screen time you can use per week. You can put limits. You can put guards for yourself. I know in my family growing up when cell phones just started, we did not use cell phones during meals. We had moments where we actually turned our cell phones off or away or turned them over to train our bodies and our minds to be okay with being together with real communication, real connection, real people. Uh, and that is something I try to do when my wife and I are together or we're hanging out, we're on a date, we turn our cell phones off, we put them in our pockets, or we turn them over because we want to be together. Now, I, I feel very blessed. I'm a religious Jew, and we keep Sabbath. And that is a moment, literally 24 hours with no technology, that I feel blessed to have a connection with the people I love and care about. Because other than that, I, I, it would be so difficult to, and the struggle of having to know how to be in the moment, but it trains me to be okay. That I'm not, the world's not going to end if I don't have Wi-Fi. The world's not going to end if I don't have my phone. I will survive. But it's about realizing and being self-aware, oh my goodness, this is an important moment. I need to put my phone down and actually remember it, actually be there so that you don't lose out on the important things in life. Yeah, and this actually is a great example to set for kids, right? Like if you think about yeah. a lot of what we pick up on as you know, children of our own parents, there's a lot that... Uh, it's, it's like, you know, is osmosis the right word? You know, we end up just yeah, absorbing a lot of that. Now, what sort of thinking about your own situation as a father, um, with a lot of this mindfulness and some of these, like, you know, these are like brain hacks that we do on ourselves, right? What, what sort of a precedent do you want to set for your own children and an example that, uh, you want them to carry out for the rest of their lives? So that's a, a beautiful question, and it's something that I think about a lot because I, I'm already noticing, and I hate to to, uh, to what's it called to admit this that uh, my baby reacts to the TV and the cell phone. Her eyes light up because it's bright colors. It's it's intriguing. It's it's what draws us in. It's this uh, like um, Toy Story with the claw when they're all like, "Oh my goodness!" They can't stop staring at the beautiful thing coming down from the heavens. But um, what I'm trying to do more is that, let's say, for example, Disney Plus just came out, which I love. This is not a sponsorship, I promise. I just happen to love Disney. Oh, it's really um, good. Yeah. yeah. I love Disney. Imagination, creativity, it's my childhood. So we limit how much we show. We don't just put our baby in front of the TV, even though she's only six months and she can't sit up on her own. 
we don't just put a TV in front of her and say, okay, here's the babysitter, you know, watch TV. We like to interact more with connection. And it's something that at meals, we're going to put our phone down when we're actually having, let's say doing homework. Eventually we're going to not use our cell phones. We're going to use interaction and actually human connection. And it is hard. And technology is only going to get more interesting and more amazing. And who knows what's going to come out in the next year. But it's about making sure your values stay the same. That I know that I need to make a connection with my child and my future children and my family. That I will not let technology get in the way because that will hinder um, the real relationships for the future. Yeah, I think this balance is going to be really tough as as we move into this new generation. It's something and that, this generation, it's all they know. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's something that uh, you and I, you know, growing up, we're, we're just a few years apart. I'm a few years older than you, but I think that yeah. if if we were to think back about our childhood, uh, we were kind of on the cusp of this technology thing, and and we definitely talked about this on the show. But it's like this is whole new territory, man. As parents, yeah. this is like how the, how are we gonna traverse this but you know we as a society we as a people um i have found ways to do this in the past whether it be technology or or, or i'm sorry tv or you know radio or or mm-hmm. anything else you know that, that has come up in the past the internet and all that stuff is going to be new territory but i have full faith that we'll figure it out um, yeah and there are there are you know pros to technology whether it's with education and with schools using technology in uh healthier way there's so much good that hopefully outweighs the bad but it's just a weird spot that we're in because we're so connected to our technology that we sometimes feel like we can't survive yeah without it it really really is uh let's actually jump into and i think technology is a good segue for this because this kind of helped you get to this point but you were recently on a, a really cool tv show uh you were on kelly clarkson's tv show do you want to yeah. talk about how that came into fruition and what that experience was like? Oh my goodness. It, it was life changing. It was, I, I still can't believe it happened. It was all through social media. So I started posting a lot of more vulnerable, uh, transparent, honest things that I try to stick to as a therapist, as a, trying to be an influencer on social media to be real. I don't post any fake pictures. I try not to edit my pictures. I try to be as honest as possible. I don't try to do clickbait and all that kind of stuff. I try to just be genuine. And all of a sudden, about three months ago, I got attacked by this uh, producer. Um, We'll call her Jessica, even though it's not her real name. Um, LinkedIn message, Instagram message, a phone call to my work phone, and uh, an email through my website asking me to be on the show because they found out that I liked the comment of the person they were featuring and they loved that I was a therapist. They loved my vibe and they flew me out within 24 hours, um, picked out my clothes for me, uh, set up, you know, what we were going to talk about, went over it a billion times. I got to meet Kelly Clarkson and the rumors are true. She is so nice. She is so real. Um, she actually hugged me and when she hugged me, she whispered in my ear, thank you for moving your clients for me that meant so much. Like she knew, um, that is, it so was, cool. uh, say again, I was, I was saying that is so cool that, uh, she, yeah, she knew she, yeah. it wasn't like her, she was involved. Um, cause I had to move my clients around and see them. And I worked for like 15 hours in one day so I can fly out that night to, uh, miss one day of work. 
um, to be on this wonderful once in a lifetime opportunity. They treated me like royalty and I was literally only on TV for two minutes. Um, and I, it was just a life changing experience. It gave me a taste of fame, which I, uh, might be hooked on I'm not admitting <laughs> it, but it was wonderful. Um, and they were so sweet and they, it was really a beautiful experience talking about being a therapist, being a new dad. And just a shout out to the guy who was featured. His name is Chronicles of a daddy. Um, He's a great dude. His name's Muhammad. He's like 40, 50,000 followers really trying to help supporting dads out there, which is how I got connected through him. Yeah, that's really awesome, man. That yeah. is so cool. Okay, so uh, Kelly Clarkson, you answered the question that I was going to ask next. How wonderful of a human being is she? And it sounds like she's she is so, so real. She is good. so funny. Like um, just a quick story about we were sitting there and it was the guy who was featured, Muhammad. Uh, is six foot two. I'm six foot two, and the guy, other dad, they brought out um, was six feet. And we were. It's a small couch. We we're all trying to like jostle for position and get comfortable. And she le- and the guy leans over. and goes, "How big are you?" I said, "I'm six two. The other guy says, "I'm six feet." And she leans over and she says, "Hey guys, can you not poke fun? I'm only five three. Oh. And the whole crowd started laughing. And she started like she started cackling because she was just joking around with us right before the shoot. Um, She's just a real person, and she uh, she was like uh, really funny and just this ball of love and energy and being genuine. It was really nice to meet her. That's so cool. Yeah, she always came off as somebody just super genuine and awesome. So well, that's how she got the show, by the way, because she didn't want this show supposedly. And NBC, because of the voice, said we need to give you a show. You're you're too great and nice and normal. Yeah, and she has a show. Totally, yeah, totally uh, worth it. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about your aspirations here. You you just, you just said you got a taste of the fame. So <laughs> so what's uh, next for you? What what sort of aspirations do you have with your own practice? What you're doing and kind of your mission based on your website? Yeah. So I have so many dreams. It's uh, I've always been a dreamer. It's why I, lo- I connect and love Disney so much uh, and Pixar and the animation. That idea of anything can happen kind of thing. Um, the future that I envision, the dreams that I have are to, um, first of all, have a prior practice working with the ages of 13 to 30. I love the young adult teenage years. They're my favorite. Um, I find them so, uh, beautiful and so challenging yet so fun, but it's the right books. It's to be a speaker in whatever capacity that it is, whether it's for mental health, for anxiety, for fatherhood, for marriage, Um, and I would really love to help as many people as possible and be a household name, what it means to be a support and to be there for people and to bring love and kindness and care into the world, which is such a big need. And it's something that I've wanted all my life. I love helping people. It's why I'm a therapist. And it's, uh, something that drives me every day is to help those who are struggling and whatever that means. So it's something that's really just built into my nature. It's uh, hard to get away from sometimes. Yeah, you and me both, brother. I was actually really reflecting on that recently about how, it, uh, you know, in, in the episode prior to this, uh, people will hear, um, you know, I spoke with the these guys from HeartCrate, heartcrate.org. And um, yeah. at the time of this recording, it's not out yet. So I'll just quickly tell you, it, it's, a, it's an organization that focuses on delivering, um, you know, like almost like loot crates, if you're familiar with that Mm -hmm. to, uh, kids who are like forced into the foster system with, uh, games and, and toys and stuff that are really like catered to them 
as mm-hmm. individuals and not just like a random doll or a random action figure or something. It's it's like really what they want with, you know, a handwritten note and like all this other stuff. And when I when I reflected back and I was talking to my wife about this, a big part of what I want with a platform like this, for instance, is to really give back and to help people. Um, so it was just kind of coming full circle when I talked to them and I said, you know what? We have an I, I now have an opportunity and a platform to help kids, not just like inform adults and other stuff like that, but to use the platform to get people to funnel money or toys or whatever it is to this organization. And that's so fulfilling. Um, and and I think it's the spirit of a servant, somebody that wants Mm -hmm. to, um, constantly give back to communities and give back to people in need. That's something that's been extremely important to me. And that was just a, having platforms like you and I have is just so fulfilling. You know? Yeah, it really is because I remember when I started posting in the beginning about fatherhood when I first had Ricky, um, I was posting for myself more than anyone else, just saying, "Hey, this is hard. Um, you know, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I just had a panic attack. This is freaking me out." And then you know, all of a sudden, paternity leave hits, and all of a sudden, I am gaga over this little tiny human who I can't get enough of, who makes my day worth living and everything I do for her. So I started posting about it on social media and I got so many comments by so many, I mean, probably 10, but it's bigger than zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, I got like 10 comments from guys in my circles who said, Oh my gosh, Ellie, thank you so much for sharing. You know, I thought I was the only one or I would never talk about this normally. Thank you for posting it. You really opened my eyes to it. Uh, let's talk more. Or even I got two messages from fathers who were not fathers yet their wives were pregnant and they were going to have a baby in the next whatever who knows you can't really tell but next couple of weeks or so asking me advice about oh my goodness how do i balance my life and this and it really made me feel okay like this is why i'm doing it mm-hmm. you know no matter how many likes i get on a post which is sometimes not so easy to to, to swallow yeah uh, or all the hard work and the day in day out posting and doing what you have to do the one or two comments that you get like a thank you or wow, that helps so much, makes it all worth it because you're, the whole goal of what I'm trying to do and I think you're trying to do also is just help people who are struggling in whatever field that is. And if you can help one person, that makes all the hard work and time and effort so worth it. Totally, totally. Uh, I love everything that you're saying and, and I want people to understand and know where to reach you if they or, or check out any of the content that you put out. So what is the best way for people to follow you? So I have a few platforms. The first one is my website, elevation.org, where I post uh, seminars that I'm going to give, blogs that I work on, um, and just general information and contact information on there. My Instagram account is elevation underscore LMSW. And I have a Facebook group called Elevation. And just so you know how to spell Elevation, it's E-L-I-V-A-T-I-O-N. And contact me, reach out to me whenever you want, however you can. Follow me, share share my stuff. I would love to help whoever is in need. Just reach out. I promise I'm really, really, I'm really uh, accessible. I do not bite. I am just there to help you and to be a support for whatever you need. I love it, man. Uh, well, thank you very much for sharing uh, some great knowledge, some great wisdom, and uh, and also your story. I think that you're uh, you're on your way to just being a great dad and you're already a great dad. So 
Thank you. I really hope so. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I, I believe that if we're coming from a a place of goodness from deep down in our soul, there's no way that we can screw up being a dad. Uh, We're going to trip up and and it's going to be tough. But you know what? We're all on this road uh, as new parents together. So uh, glad that this is another resource in the arsenal that is the Dad Chronicles. So thank you very much. Our guest has been Ellie Weinstein. Uh, with Elevation. Again, it's elevation.org, E-L-I-V-A-T-I-O-N.org. Thank you very much, Ellie. Thank you, Alex. Big thanks to Ellie Weinstein for sharing your story on The Dad Chronicle. It was such a great conversation, and I always feel like I learned something new from new parents coming on this show, things that I, you know, I tap back into. I remember what it was like being a new parent And uh, hearing some of those experiences really brings me back. I think it's really fun to hear that perspective. And especially from somebody who is a therapist, I think that's really unique. Um, So thank you very much, Ellie, for sharing your story. And for everybody at home, check out everything that he does. You can head over to elevation.org. That's E-L-I-V-A-T-I-O-N.org. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and consider supporting this show. If you head over to thedadchronicle.com, there is a link to become a patron. And we have a lot of great exclusive content for our patrons, so that's something that you definitely don't want to miss out on. So again, head over to thedadchronicle.com. There's a link there to become a patron, and it's a great way to support the show. Even $1 a month goes a long way to helping with the costs for this production. And if you'd like to chime in on the conversation that we just had, email Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can do so. Just follow at Alex Albisu. My last name is spelled A-L-B as in boy, I-S as in Sam, U. Thanks for listening. See you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.